We're in a series talking about seven principles to make good choices. How does God guide people? Is it His will I fall in the ditch, crash, and burn? Or has He got a plan so I can stay pretty much on course in life? I wrote a book called Flying Higher, and it's the seven principles God uses so we can lead a pretty good life and stay out of any fatalities, bad crashes. It's, I think it's impossible not to make some mistakes, but they're not fatal. And God doesn't want you to make one like that. And you don't have to. And when you look at the people who do, you realize you ran through about four red stop signs and you crashed. So it's not, a, it's not difficult. It's kind of an easy thing to do. So we've urged everybody to get in a connect group near you. And you still can sign up to go to one out in the lobby. Find out the zip code where you're located. Join one. Share your experiences as we each week talk about one of the seven principles God uses so that we have a reasonably good life. And I'd urge you to get the book in the bookstore because we're, we're going right by it, only I get 35 minutes and the book has a lot more to say. So aren't you glad? <laughs> you mean Rick can't go as long as he wants? Nope, I cannot. I have a censor in here, it's called my wife, right over here. And they cut off my microphone. So I think you'll enjoy it. It's easy to read. And it covers every one of these in detail. Okay. Last week, we had introduction. Just sort of an overview. So we begin today. Romans 8, verse 14. says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So guidance by God is brought to His people in a number of different ways. And I shared with you seven principles God uses to help direct us. We talked about inner conviction, scriptural confirmation, prophetic confirmation, godly or wise counsel, circumstances, the peace of God, and provision. Where God guides, He provides. And then we said, here's the key almost nobody preaches or talks about. This is in 2 Corinthians 13.1. Paul says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be confirmed or established. So God says, I won't direct you by just one of these seven, but with two or three. And that's because we can really get deceived on just one. So this is part two in our series on being led by inner conviction. Inner, the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Here's a simple illustration in Acts 16, verse 7. It says, this is Paul, after they were come to Mysia, they determined they would go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit suffered them not. Now that's King James language in 1611, so you can really relate to that if you're 400 years old, but if not, I wouldn't say it that way. They felt in their spirit, there was a witness in their spirit you know, I think we ought to go over to Asia. Well, then a vision appeared to them, and it came to Paul at night. And it says, there stood a man of Macedonia and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, immediately we determined we were going to Macedonia, believing that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to, him, to them. So God wouldn't let them go to Asia. They had a check in their spirit. And then they get a vision which confirmed it that they're supposed to go somewhere else. So that was that little, 
that little spirit talking to us inside. I had a hunch. I had a feeling. And you can tell it's a little mystical and a little subjective, which is why it needs some, some guardrails. In 1989, a United Airlines 747 flight from Hawaii to New Zealand had a section above a, car door, a cargo door rip out and sucked nine people to their deaths. You can see it on the video. What wasn't in the news was a spirit-filled Christian who was seated right where the accident was going to happen. And his testimony was that moments before this happened, he heard a voice in his inside that said, move to another area of the plane. He hesitated just a moment and it said, move now. He didn't hear it audibly, but he felt it very strong in his spirit. So he got up and went back to an unoccupied seat. Moments later, the section where this businessman had been sitting was sucked out right over the Pacific. Now that's the ability to be led by that inner conviction, that, that small voice of the Holy Spirit inside every believer that gives you a thought, an impression, uh, or, or a picture. Everybody in here has said, I just, I don't know why, but I just feel to call Ellie. And Ellie's sobbing when she answers the phone, and, she said, and you said, I had no idea. I just I just had a little inclination to call. Well, you were, that was that inner voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. See, everybody in here has, has had that happen, and maybe you haven't paid attention to it, but now I'm going to tell you what it is, okay? Now, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says, You have an unction, an anointing from the Holy Spirit that you know all things. I'll define that in a minute, okay? Uh, verse 26, these things have I written to you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you don't need that any man teach you something, but as the same anointing teaches you all things and is truth and is not a lie, it has taught you and you shall abide in him. That is sure clunky language, okay? Again, King James Bible was translated in 1611 in a Victorian uh, kind of a language and vocabulary. It's pretty nice, but sometimes it's just a bit clunky, don't you think? That's why we have some other translations or paraphrases that are much easier to read. And what John's trying to communicate is that the anointing of the Spirit of God has anointed you as a believer inside. And at any moment, you have the capacity by Him to know anything that He wants you to know that you don't know. That's kind of an industry. You can't do it on demand, but it happens. The anointing within you gives you the capacity for truth so you don't always have to have anything from outside informing you. And when John said, you know all things, obviously we would all say, I don't know all things. John is saying by the anointing, you have the potential, the capacity for everything you need in the realm of knowledge. It's available to a Christian and the Holy Spirit can bring it to your mind in a picture or a word. Um, this is, Cindy and I were in this airplane, uh, Cessna 421 Golden Eagle, and uh, this was in Savannah, Georgia. And I flew her up to see her, her parents, and I think you were pregnant at the time, I think, or we had, do we have a baby then? Yes. We did, okay. <laughs> we, were, we, were at, we were at her mother's up in Columbia, South Carolina, and it's midnight, and uh, praise the Lord, we're on the way home from her parents. Yeah, I know, this is going to, I'm going to have to call a cab to go home, all right. 
okay, well, I, I was, I'm not a real, I, I wasn't a real spiritual person, not, not very religious anyway, but I was a Christian, and I, I, I did something. Somebody had given me a lot. Where's the plane? The, put, <laughs> so, can I have the plane back? The plane, the plane. Okay. Back there, you see the vertical the, the, the stabilizer that sticks up real high back there where the November number is? Okay, that's my rudder. And on it, they gave me a lock because it was thunderstorms. And one of my friends says, hey, put this on your rudder, and it'll keep it from swinging back and forth if we get a heavy wind gust, which can damage it. So I put it on but, and uh, flew up to Carolina and took it off and then put it on when we walked away. And I, several hours we were gone. When I came back to the plane at midnight, it wasn't in my checklist because it was brand new, and I missed it. And I got in the plane, and I got my clearance to fly. I taxied down to the runway. It's, again, midnight. There's no traffic. And I told the tower, you know, we're ready to go. At 817 Mike Alpha, you're cleared for takeoff, fly runway heading, climb and maintain 3,000 feet, contact departure 121.9. And I did what I always do, pray. Now, let me show how deep the prayer was. Lord, thank you for a safe flight tonight in Jesus' name. Some of you think you've got to pray till your wife goes through menopause for God to listen to you. And I'm just trying to help everybody kind of bear witness with where I am. And the moment I prayed that, hand on the throttle, ready for takeoff, rudder lock goes across my eyes. Rudder lock. No, I'm not a mystical a Pentecostal. I'm not... Uh, uh, I'm not a charismatic. I, I'm, I'm, this, I'm part of an independent Baptist church. We don't even believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We don't believe in miracles unless it's a miracle offering or miracle attendance. And flesh, and flesh can do both of those. So I got to let you know where I am. I hadn't grown yet. I'm not there. And God overruled my ignorance and my bad teaching that I had been taught wrong that the Holy Spirit can't do this. And He just said, rudder lock right across my eyes, and, and I felt it in here, and I, my heart nearly stopped. And I told the tower, let me shut the engines down uh, just for a minute, and I did. I got out, and there's that. I'm 40 seconds from killing us all. And that, that voice inside that said, rudder lock, as clear as the, save my life. Now, God didn't have to do it, but, but He did it. Yeah. It, I'll never forget that. Some of you don't think God can talk to you unless you have a halo over you or something, God, if He has a higher purpose for your life, He can override anything in your life to speak to you. I'm telling you, He can speak to you a lot of ways, but that inner voice definitely touched me. Uh, Cindy was telling me that when she was uh, in a shower, she had been wrestling all day trying to come up with a theme for a women's ministry, which is chosen. Well, and that's been going on for years, but she said the idea came to her in the shower just like chosen. And she went with that. And today, it's an incredible women's ministry every year. So just sometimes the Lord can speak kind of to you that, that way. Or you feel like, I, I've had people cancel their flight and the plane crashes. And they, I just had a feeling I was to change that. Or I was to wait or I was to take another direction. That's that inner conviction of the Holy Spirit. When John says you don't need any man to teach you, he's teaching while he's saying that. But what he's saying is that if you learn anything in the Bible, it wasn't actually through Billy Graham or Rick or anybody else that taught it to you. It was the Holy Spirit that taught you through them. 
So the anointing of the Holy Spirit in me communicates through my stinking flesh and it bears witness with the Holy Spirit in your stinking flesh so that any moment something in you when you hear truth says, amen. That means let it be so. It's like, yeah, truth. The Holy Spirit bears witness because he knows his word and he knows truth. He is truth. And when you hear it, although you didn't know it, bam, something in you says, yeah, Amen. That's it. So that's the Holy Spirit in me. He knows the truth before I heard it. That's called inner conviction. It's Christ in you. Every believer can hear God for himself. And the first principle in God's guidance is in your heart. I mean, who needs a map if the one who drew the map lives in you? See? But here's the, here's the danger. By itself, it's the most subjective and mystical of all the seven principles because it's based entirely on what you feel, what you see in your spirit, what you hear in your spirit, and there's mixture in all of us, so that, that can be polluted. Here's a poem called Marriage at an Early Age to prove it. Nice night in June, star shine, big moon. In park with girl, head pound, head swirl. Me say love, she coo like dove. Me smart, me fast, me never let chance go past. Get hitched, me say, she say, okay. Wedding bells, ring, ring, honeymoon, everything. Settle down, married life, happy man, happy wife. Second verse. Another night in June. Stars shine, walk floor, wife mad, she stew, me mad, me stew too. Life one big spat, nagging wife, bawling brat. Realized at very last, me have moved too fast. <laughs> see, anything as subjective as what I feel or what I, I, I think I see has to be balanced. How many know this guy could have used a little counsel before he jumped in with this, his feeling? So when we study the context of 1 John 2, we see the danger that's inherent in just following the Spirit subjectively by itself. So Jesus was able to do it perfectly. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. Now, what's he talking about? Well, he wasn't seeing the Father like physically when he was physically on earth. He was seeing from inside of his heart. He instinctively knew within how to react and what to do. Now, the context of you need no man to teach you and you know all things has to have some guardrails to keep you from going into la-la land. 1 John 2, verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, just three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. So why does John start off warning us not to love the world? He, he's warning us that we are in a subjective area when we talk about inner conviction, and it's confused with these other things in my spirit too. Uh, I remember a song, You Light Up My Life, and a verse says it can't be wrong when it feels so right. Oh, really? Boy, I have found in my years of living that many things in life that feel right are not right. Even the Bible says there's pleasure in sin or nobody would do it, Sparky. He just says, but boy, it doesn't last a long time, and it'll get real nasty real quick in your life. It doesn't have a good payoff, but it definitely feels good, or nobody would be enticed to do it. So why can't inner conviction be the place we stop? Because you got mixture in you. We all do. We can get our desires and our leadings mixed up with these other appetites in the flesh. There's junk in you and junk in me. 
And yet there's the beautiful Holy Spirit in me too. And so I got to strain out that lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and pride of life. Because I always feel like that's the Lord. I saw a brand new Tesla drive onto our parking lot. And I looked at it and my eyes said, that sure would be nice if you had that. <laughs> Next gas crisis, you could just drive right on by. Go home and plug in in your garage. I See, you're telling me you don't, I saw Warren Buffett, I saw Bill Gates' yacht and I said, that looks good. I would even invite some of my church friends to go with me <laughs> on that. Now, I'm trying to show you we're polluted. All of us, we're polluted by our own flesh. So we've got to have some guidelines to sort that out or we're going to get crazy, goofy. I, had a, I went to visit a guy in the federal penitentiary and came from this city and he got into trouble laundering drug money to pay off the debt of their church that had fallen behind and was in foreclosure. And he thought, so he took a scripture out of, which we'll look at next week, how God guides us with scripture. He, he said, God has laid up the wealth of the wicked for the righteous. So he, so he, he, he it was an FBI sting and it wasn't even the real cartel, but he thought he was. And he, he, he twisted that scripture thinking the voice he was hearing, this is a good idea. I'm just taking from the wicked to pay off the church. And he had to go to federal penitentiary for it. Stupid. You see, we need guidelines. Okay. If my appetites, if they were completely sanctified, I'd be safe, but they're not. So John goes on to say in verse 18, there's another anointing in you. It's the antichrist anointing, the false anointing, the false guide. And how do we identify it? John says there are some things you got to watch out for so you don't get into trouble with this false anointing. And there are some things that feel like the Spirit in you that are not the Spirit of God. They're of Antichrist. And they're easily identified by three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh is pleasure, to feel something. Lust of the eyes, desire for possession, to have something. Uh, pride of life, I want a position, I want to be somebody. And John says, watch out, don't love those things. The, the love and affecting those things can feel like the leading of God, so kind of be careful. That's, the, that's not the love of the Father, that's the love of the world. In Genesis 3, watch the seduction, verse 3. God said, you shall not eat of this tree, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, this is Eve, you will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasure, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make you wise, it would be good to possess that, then I would have something that I need. And the serpent said, if you eat of it, you shall be as God. You'll be somebody. And that's the entire satanic arsenal. That's all he's got. Three desires, and that's what causes all of us to get in trouble. These counterfeit appetites lead you astray into deception, and the devil doesn't have any new tricks because these are working just really good, right? May I say God is not against pleasure? At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, Scripture says. He's not against possessions. The Lord delights in the prosperity of his servant, and he's not against position. When you humble yourself, he said, I will exalt you. 
but we're talking about illegitimate desires and appetites that are in all of our flesh and they feel just like the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he'll give you a check every now and then about that. I was talking to one of our members earlier today talking about a relationship and some and this has happened many times with people in here just feeling a little check because this person doesn't want to work not very ambitious and the person talking to me in the lobby as a member here is very ambitious very driven to get ahead and make something of herself but the other guy doesn't how many of you know she says i've been having a little check about breaking off his relationship i think that is god talking to you because if he doesn't work he doesn't eat that's scripture now, unless you're handicapped or you've been involved in war and maimed, you know I'm not talking about that. But people who just lazy, non-ambitious. Right. Girls, if you're working two jobs and you're getting your degree and you're, you're don't marry a slob. He'll let you take care of him forever. You put him out like a dog. You put him outside. Get rid of him. Find somebody at least going where you're going, just as ambitious as you are to get ahead somebody that's got some, some drive in them, because you don't want to have to do this the rest of your life. Men, we're supposed to be the provider, Scripture says. The protector. We're, we're supposed to be the one. Now, the wife can work if she wants to, and she gets satisfaction and agreement. Nothing wrong with that, but she shouldn't have to the rest of her life. The silence is deafening. No. No, I'm just trying to say, because the old kids will come along, there'll be other things you have to do, and you don't want to be under the gun and all that stress. So I'm just saying, when you pick a relationship, be sure you match up with some. Uh, don't get an unequal yoke. Be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Uh, sometimes a believer can be an unbeliever. You know, if they don't believe what you believe about do, making your life count and purpose and destiny, dump them. I don't, you don't want something that holds you back. You want something that'll help pull you forward. And I don't want a husband or a mate that I have to pull. I mean, life's hard enough. It, I'm getting some help right here from my sister. <laughs> well, better do it now. And if somebody did make a mistake, boy, they'll tell you real quick. Don't do it, honey. Don't do it. Listen to your heart. That was a good word from the Lord. 1 Samuel 17. This is David, Goliath, and Saul. So the men of Israel said to David, have you seen this man, this giant that's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, marry into royalty, give his father's household tax exemption in Israel. I like that last one. Tax exempt. Wouldn't that be nice? Now what did Saul, Saul is a type of the flesh in the Bible, offer the man who'd go fight the giant. He didn't do it out of an honorable deal. He did it out of flesh. I'll give you the king's daughter. You'll be part of a royal family. I'll give you land to possess. You'll be a landowner. I'll let you live tax-free. Your new position will be non-taxable. Wow. Those are counterfeit motives to get somebody to fight the giant. They weren't fighting out of honor, out of a covenant that God had with Israel. They were fighting out of their flesh. Motives are what drive us. And I want to know that whatever I do today and wherever I go are led by the Holy Spirit, not my stinking flesh. My flesh never takes me anywhere nice. Oh, oh, thank you. I see the faces looking at me like, oh, mine are, Rick. Really, I don't see any nightlights in here shining. 
your flesh is just as corrupt. Paul, even the great apostle, wrote 75% of the New Testament, said, I know in my flesh dwells no good thing. Know it. And there's another kind of leading, another kind of motive, and it's a counterfeit, and it's rooted in lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In Matthew 4, Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit to go out in the wilderness, and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And the first voice he heard was not God. It was Satan. And Satan offered Jesus three things. Something to eat, turn these stones into bread. And that tripped up the first Adam, caused him to eat fruit. But Jesus said, I got no release in my spirit. His inner guidance system said no. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Secondly, all these kingdoms and all their glory, I'll give to you for a possession if you will bow down and worship me. See, we want the possession and we want the glory that comes with possessing something. I can have the glory that comes with the name of this particular thing. But Jesus said, I won't worship you, Satan, even to have those things. My Father will give them to me honorably at the right time. But I won't cheat in order to get it. Number three, jump off the temple. The angels will catch you to demonstrate who you really are. And boy, if you don't know who you are, the world will jerk you by the leash to kind of prove who you are. Your position, Jesus passed all the tests. And after he passed, the Father released him for his ministry. You know, how can we go and help nations when we haven't learned how to overcome our flesh, our guidance systems that are, that are down embedded in this stinking old flesh here? And if you look at a fallen minister or a believer, you're going to find at least one or a combination of these three things. Those, that's all Satan's got. Folks, the devil has no new tricks. We keep falling for the old ones. There were three false gods that plagued Israel throughout the Old Testament, Ashtaroth, Baal, and Molech. Ashtaroth was the goddess of sex and pleasure. They had temple prostitutes that increased church attendance. I'm trying to just add a little levity here to the, to the deal. Yeah, it was very much male-dominated. I, I don't know how that happened, but it did. It, this stuff's in the Bible. This, the Bible, in some places, is quite erotic, X-rated, violent. I don't know what kind you're reading, but if you read, this is pretty raunchy stuff that goes on. Then there's Baal. He's the god of finance an increase. And people would put stones up secretly on their property so the high priest of Israel couldn't see it, and they would offer to Baal. They were looking to Baal for financial increase instead of looking to God. And, you know, there's probably some people in here that do the same thing. You know, God says, if you'll honor me, I'll honor you. He says, if you'll put me first, I'll add all these other things that you desire. I'll give them to you. He says, uh, if, you'll, if you'll bring me the first fruit of your increase, I'll rebuke the devourer. Uh, wealth and riches come from thee. It is God who gives thee power to get wealth. No good thing will the Lord withhold from him. I mean, God says, let me be your provider. Let me be the one who gives you the, but do what I ask you to do. But they went to Baal instead of to God to be blessed financially. Molech is an idol that had a furnace inside of its inner part, and people would offer up babies for the promise of promotion and elevation in the community. And the root of Molech was the pride of life. And Molech is the god of abortion. This child's going to hold me back, going to cramp my style. I've got a career. I can't be bothered with this child. And we've got more abortion in America than any other country in the world because we're the most position-seeking country in the world. We want status. Now, quick review and we're done. Our potential is unlimited to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
There's a potential in every believer in this room to know all truth and to be led by inner conviction. But the guardrails have to do with watching out for those unsanctified appetites that are in all of us. God can only lead you by a set-apart desire and appetite. 1 John 2, verse 28, And now little children abide in Him. When He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. What's He saying? Abiding means dwelling, living, staying continually with Him. So the inner conviction always works well if I'm abiding in Christ. But if we don't always abide, then sometimes I'm in, sometimes I'm out. The less abiding, the more mixture in my life, and the more I need other signs for confirmation. When my heart is pure and I'm walking in intimate relationship with the Lord, most inner conviction will be right. It'll come from the Lord. So you have to, here's one of my guidelines. I'm a word guy, and and having been brought up that way, when I became a Christian, I don't care what a voice tells me, I don't care what a prophecy tells me, I don't care what an advisor tells me, if it violates Scripture, I'm done. That's it. That's the best guide I know. Don't violate Scripture. Scripture is true. Forever thy word is settled in heaven, my word shall never pass away. It's eternal, it's immutable, it's infallible, that's God saying. It's alive and powerful. So be sure, whatever you're feeling isn't going to violate Scripture. And you won't get into any really bad issues. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.